1: that it says here that he gave them the water to wash their feet. And also it says in the end of verse 23, he brought Simeon out unto them. Now, he knew that they were going to be so happy to see that Simeon is safe and sound. And then the steward brings out the water so they can wash their feet and feed their donkeys. And the steward, what he's doing here is he's backing up his witness to them with acts of care. He's showing he really cares about them. Reminds me of the summer blitzers this last summer, as you know, how one of them, one of them on the team, they saw a homeless lady sitting there, and so they went over to Panera Bread, and they bought her a sandwich and asked her if she knew of anybody that was Jewish, and she said that she was Jewish, and then they led her to the Lord. Why? All because of a sandwich from Panera Bread. I guess it could be from some other place, but anyway. So, and then there were the summer blitzers who took their day for follow-up to be with an elderly Jewish widow and helped clean her house all day long. Why? Because actions are important to validate a witness. And this steward showed he really did care for these brothers when he brought them the water for their feet and the food and brought out Simeon, the food for their donkeys, brought out Simeon. In other words, this steward saw the opportunity and then he took it just like it says in Galatians 6.10. Galatians 6.10 says, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So the steward, he's looking, he sees the opportunity, he takes it, and he does good to the brothers. He's practicing, really he's practicing this seeing the opportunity and doing good to all men, but he's also He's very much in line with Romans 116. Romans 116, which says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. This is a Greek. He's not a Greek, he's Egyptian. He's a Gentile. So here's this Egyptian Gentile, and he's not ashamed of the good news of Jehovah Jesus giving treasures. And so he saw that these Jewish people here, the brothers, they didn't have Jehovah Jesus. He saw that. So he spoke to them. Reminds me of how Pastor Jim and I, when we would go door to door to the Jewish people in San Diego, and I remember oftentimes that Jim would say to the Jewish people, I found your Messiah in your scriptures. (laughs) He would say that. (laughs) I found your Messiah in your scriptures. So the Egyptian here, He sees that these Jewish brothers did not believe in God, so in mercy, he speaks to them about their own God. And that's how we should be like this Egyptian steward when it comes to Jewish people. As it says in Romans 11.31, Romans 11.31 says, even so have these also now not believed. And Egyptian steward could say that. He said, even so have these also now not believed. Yet through your mercy they may obtain mercy, and that's what he was doing. In Romans 11, 15, it says, if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? Life from the dead, life from the dead. And Romans 11, 25, Romans 11, 25 says, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part Not in total, but just in part, is happened to Israel. It happens to be a very big part, but it's still part until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So when we see this Egyptian steward, he's telling these Jewish brothers about the God of the Hebrews. It really leaves us a question. How does he know? Where does this Egyptian steward learn about the God of the Hebrews? And clearly it's from Joseph is Joseph. So what we see there from this is Joseph he's not just providing food for the stomach when he to the Egyptians he's providing food for the souls of the Egyptians. And you can see Joseph in this Egyptian steward why? Because the steward is talking about treasure placed by God in their sacks. He's really talking about the sovereignty of God in life circumstances. And that's what Joseph's life is all about, the sovereignty of God in his circumstances and how it's all worked out. So what do we see in this marvelous Egyptian steward here? What we see is an example of diligent faithfulness. He is a diligent, faithful worker for Joseph. He put his heart into the work. He wasn't just doing, and remember now in verse 16, Joseph said, bring these men home. He didn't just do that, but he put his whole heart into the spirit of what Joseph wanted, which was take care of the men. And Joseph didn't have to go through, now you do this and you do that, and if they do this, you do that, and if they say this, he didn't have to because that's what diligence is. This diligent work that the steward did is expressed by several different expressions in the Bible. Solomon described this diligence is not just doing, but doing with might. He said that in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Ecclesiastes 9.10, where Solomon said, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. I don't know why he added that. That's a very depressing thought, but never in the mind. The first part, okay. And then in Colossians... This diligence is described as doing work heartily as to the Lord and not unto men in Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23, which says whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. This diligence or lack of diligence, because really we have a book that really portrays for us both diligence and lack of diligence, it's really seen in the book of Nehemiah. Because in the book of Nehemiah, they had a big job to do. They had to build the wall around Jerusalem. And there was this group called the nobles. And they didn't really have this diligence. And he described them as not putting their neck to the work. When it said in Nehemiah 3 5, Nehemiah 3 5, next to them, to them the Tekoites repaired. But the nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord, of their Lord. That's a terrible statement. But the majority of the people who worked with Nehemiah were not that way. They were diligent to build the wall, and their diligence was described as they put their mind to work, their mind to work. It says in Nehemiah 4, 6, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. When King David, he looked at his priests and he said, I don't want you guys to be slackers. I know you're gonna get paid whether you do the work or you don't do work because that's the nature of the way it works around here. But he says, but he really wanted the priests to be diligent because as I said, there was a temptation for them to be slack. Okay, so he wanted them to be diligent and especially in seeking the Lord and doing the work so he used the phrase set your heart and soul set your heart and soul that's in 1st Chronicles 22:19 1st Chronicles 2, 19 is where David is addressing the priests and he says now set your heart and soul to seek the Lord your God arise therefore build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built in the name of the Lord and then He further goes on to describe diligence to obey God's commandments when he says, he calls it with the whole heart, with the whole heart in Psalm 119.34. Psalm 119.34, he prays, give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with the whole heart, with the whole heart, with my whole heart. So this diligence that we see in this Egyptian steward is an example to us. He's an example for us to follow, because in diligence he is the way we should be. Now, there's another quality about this Egyptian steward, and that's readiness. Readiness. This steward was ready to witness for God. He was ready to do work, and all of this extra work. This was all extra work for him. I'm you know he had. I'm sure he had. He wasn't just sitting around there saying, "Well, I wonder what's going to happen today." I mean, he had anyway. He had all, the Joseph's brothers arrive and this is all a whole lot of extra work for him. You know, and it just sprung on him. But what we see here in this steward is he jumps into the work and he saw they needed God, so I'm going to speak to them about God. It's this readiness to speak about God that's called in the Bible always ready or ready always to give an answer. In First Peter 3.15, fifteen. First Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always, unexpectedly even, to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I mean, the picture's really like a fireman. He's standing there and he's ready, he's waiting, even if he might be eating, to jump up and to answer the call springs into action. So the steward's readiness to take care of the physical needs of the brothers, that's called in the Bible, in Timothy, that's called ready to every work. Ready to every work And in Titus, I meant to say. Titus, Titus 3.11. Titus 3.11 says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers and obey magistrates to be ready to every good work. This readiness that we see in this Egyptian steward, it's an example for us. We should follow, we should be on the lookout standing on call for the time when we can speak for God. This readiness is the way we should be. Now, another quality about that we see in this steward is that he's thankful. He is a thankful spirit. As he tells the brothers, look, look at the money as treasure from God. Give him thanks. This last week, we interviewed a person at work for a job. We interviewed him for a job. And Diana Huerta, who's hired hundreds of staff in Tacati she was explaining to the candidate what was important for the job, what was required, and she gave him a list. And she said, what's important, she said, is that a person has to have, she said first, passion. And then she said, flexibility, because we're always changing things all the time. And then versatility. In other words, be able to, you might have been using a hammer, but now you got to pick up the drill flexibility, versatility, and then she said, and, and I was expecting something like, you know, I don't know what I was expecting, but she said, and gratefulness, (laughs) gratitude. I never heard that described as a quality for an employee, but it's great that she said that. Why? Because in the workplace, the spirit of being disgruntled, it spreads like wildfire." and the spirit of gratitude is the water that puts the fire out. Gratefulness is what is required in coming to the Lord. It says that in Psalm 100 verse 4, Psalm 100 verse 4, where David says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. See, when it says, Be thankful, that shows that thankfulness, it's not just a feeling like the morning mist that comes on us, but it's a decision that we make. We decide if we're gonna be thankful or not. And we decide to be thankful when we put on the godly view glasses and look at life through those glasses instead of the secular glasses. When we see and we tell others about how God saves us from our troubles, that's what's meant by making that decision to praise him and to be thankful. That's what it says in Psalm 96 too. Psalm 96 says, sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. You know, when it looked like to the people of Guam, people living in Guam, that North Korea was gonna send over missiles to them and bomb them and they knew that the flight time for the missile, from the time it left North Korea till it exploded in Guam, was 14 minutes. So it was interesting because they interviewed people on Sunday as they were coming out of church when they when they run under this 14 minute threat, and they asked them what was the sermon about today, and they said the sermon was about if you only knew you had 14 minutes to live, what would you do in those last 14 minutes? It's like what's your highest priority to do for the short amount of time you have left to live? That's what happened to the people in the Twin Towers in New York. They knew they were gonna die. What did you do? What would most people do? Well, you know, most people jump on the phone with people, their loved ones, and they tell them how much they love them. King David says his priority was with the time that he had left. He described it in Psalm 71, 15. Psalm 71, 15, which says, my mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. He's saying, I'm going to give myself to showing forth the righteousness and the salvation of God with the days that I have, and I don't know how many I have. And actually, do you remember how old David lived? Does anybody remember? How old was David when he died? He was 70. He was 70, okay? So how many more years do you have left? Or how many have you run the clock over? (laughs) so so in essence David is saying that if he had just 14 minutes to live that he would go around and tell others about the righteousness and the salvation of God thanksgiving is so important because this is when God pours out his blessings to us when he sees a thankful spirit when we get in trouble what's the first thing that we do when we get in trouble we complain What's the second thing we do when we get in trouble? We call our friends to complain to them. (laughs) And the deliverance doesn't come. But Psalm 50 changes all that. It gives a new one, two, three. Psalm 50, verse 14, Psalm 50, 14 says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. So first, when trouble comes, is to offer to God thanksgiving. And second, call upon him when in the day of trouble, and then the deliverance from God will come. So that means, as soon as we're in trouble, we should turn on the tap of thanksgiving to God. And why? Because also in that Psalm, Psalm 50, Psalm 50, verse 23, 50-23, it says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me and to him, will I show the salvation of God? Okay, so God is looking for the person who praises him and is thankful to him so he can show the salvation to that person. What is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is the draino that unstops our life of woes. <laughs> Thankfulness is what we see in this steward. He's an example to us of how we should Come to God and rejoice and be thankful. He's the way we should be. So the thankfulness that we see in this Egyptian steward is the example for us to follow as we look for opportunities to thank God. Oh, money? No, treasure. As we have this spirit of gratitude. That's how we should be. Now, in this Egyptian spirit, we also see he not only speaks for God, but he has works. He has works to back him up. He's working for God. He's called... He's what the Bible calls being a doer of the word, as it says in James 1.23. James 1.23 says, if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass in a mirror. The Lord Jesus said it in uh, Matthew 7.24, 7:24, Matthew 7:24, 7.24, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and do with them, I will liken him unto a man, a wise man, which built his house on a rock. Then he went on to say, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not. It's like a foolish man that built his house on the sand. So now the brothers, they've come into the house, and we see what they do in verse 25. They made ready the present against Joseph, came at noon, for they heard that they should be bred there. So they're told the governor's coming back at noon, and so they say, Okay, which one of you has the saddlebags, you know? (laughs) And they break out this present. They get it all ready. They kind of, okay, you know how we're going to do this presentation of the gift here, right? Of the gifts. And they all got it all. They, they, they got it. So they've unpacked all the best gifts from the land of Canaan there. And they probably got them all spread out and rehearsed to how they're going to give this to the, to the governor when he comes back at lunch. And he comes home. Finally, he comes home. Verse 26. When Joseph came home. They brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. So the first thing they do when Joseph gets back is that they present the gifts and they, they brought to him. They didn't just set him on a table and say, oh, you know what, all these things are for you. They didn't do that. What they did is that they put the gifts in their hands So that, and as, as they give it to him, he should look at the gift, should look at their hand, and they associate the gift with themselves. They wanted Joseph to see their presence were coming from their hands so he wouldn't be angry with them. Then they bowed. They bowed before Joseph. It was not just a curtsy bow. This was really a bow. Because as it says in verse 26, they bowed themselves to him to the earth. They put their bodies down on the ground. And so at this point, Joseph is seeing this. He's seeing his brothers bow before him. And which they didn't do just once, but you see in verse 28, they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. So Joseph sees this. He sees this, and he sees, when he sees this, he says, this is the fulfillment of the dream that God gave to me 20 years ago, like by way of a prophecy. And we can imagine how Joseph, he must have thought back, wow, 20 years, that was a long time. What happened? during those 20 years. He must have been marveling about that. He must have said, 20 years ago, God gave me a dream that my brothers would bow down to me and they mocked me and the whole family said I was foolish, I was arrogant to have a dream like that. And now here we are 20 years later. I see this dream prophecy, it's fulfilled. And he must have thought, what happened during those 20 years? I mean, he had a dream about his brothers bowing down to him and yet He had nearly been killed by his brothers as they threw him into a waterless pit in the hot desert. He had been sold as a slave to the Midianites. He'd been promoted to chief servant in Potiphar's house. He'd been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He'd been a prisoner in an underground prison. He'd been exalted to the highest position in Egypt. He gathered corn for seven years of abundance, and now he's feeding Egypt during the seven years of famine, and now his brothers are bowing down before him, and he's thinking to himself, you know, that was a lot of ands in between that dream and this bowing down here, you know? He's thinking that, and he's thinking, you know, you know, that was a lot of dramatic events in between the dream of the brothers bowing down to me and this actual event that I'm witnessing right now. So as Joseph looks back over his life, from the time that he had the dream and the moment now when his brothers are bowing down before him, he's thinking to himself, the only event that God told would happen in my life is this event right here of the brothers bowing, bowing down to me. I think some of those other events that happened to me were kind of important, you know, like the pit part, like the slave part, like the prison part. I think those parts were kind of important, but I didn't see any of those parts in my dreams. God didn't tell me about any of those parts that would happen to me. God just told me about this bowing part. Now, why do you think that God did not tell Joseph about any of those other major events in Joseph's life in a dream back then when he was 17? Why do you think? Okay, yeah. I mean, if Joseph had seen the pit part (laughs) and the prison part of that dreams there, he would be pretty afraid.
0: Or you can email Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th, and Saturday morning, February 10th, at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel, Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com, ReachIsrael.com.